we can be here this morning. Thank you that you love us. Lord, I pray that we would know that no matter what obstacles stand against us, that you are good and true and strong. Lord, I pray that we would know that whatever battle we enter into with you, we are with you, and therefore nothing can stand against us. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of all the ways that you have proved yourself to be our God, to be our, to be our champion, to be our deliverance, to be our light, to be our future, to be our hope. I pray that this morning, Lord, we would be reminded that we would take heart and that we would step out, that we would move on because you are with us. Thank you that we can move forward because you are with us. Lord, may we not stay on the wrong side of the Jordan. May we cross over with you and expect great things. Please speak and help us to understand this today. Not just to understand it with our heads, but to... Father, I pray by your Spirit, sink it deep into our hearts. Lord, that, that our trust in you would be something that wells up from the inside as we reflect on all the ways that you have proven yourself and shown yourself. Amen. So it's been about 40 years now. They've uh, escaped from Egypt. They've crossed over the people of Israel, the Red Sea. God has done an incredible miracle. They arrived at the border of the promised land. Numbers chapter 13, 14. If you've read the bulletin cover, you've probably read all this already. They arrived there at the promised land. What are they going to do? Moses sends 12 spies in to look at the land. They come back and they say, guys, this is going to be impossible. They're giants. It's a fantastic land, but we cannot win. And the people say, right, we can't. Two people, Joshua and Caleb turn around and go, gosh, what's the matter with you? We've got God. God's for us. If God's for us, we can do this thing. It's not even going to be a, it's not going to be a drama at all. What's wrong with you? Have you forgotten what God has done? And the people go, no, we won't. And long story short, they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. Eventually Moses dies, all of that generation basically, except for Joshua and Caleb. And they find themselves here once more at the border of the promised land. The river Jordan, uh, opposite or roughly opposite the, the town. We call it the city of Jericho, but it wasn't really a city. It was more, more like a, a large town of Jericho. But they're on the wrong side of the river. What do we find? We find Joshua, the new leader, the spokesman for God, the one whom God has said, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. No matter what, be strong and courageous. We find Joshua taking the people, setting up camp at the side, at the banks of the River Jordan, overflowing in flood. This is not a good place to cross. There is no bridge. If you want to cross, maybe you should go up further north towards the Adam region where it's a bit shallower and you can ford it over there and it's wider. But no, here they are at this stupid place to cross. And Joshua says to the people, right guys, now's the time to purify yourselves. This is not going to be a military operation as you would expect. We are going to take the land, but this is not so much about our might and strength, despite the 40,000 armed soldiers that lead them into the land. This is about realizing that everything depends on God and His strength. The God who is holy. They're told... Uh, you might have noticed in there that, that 
the people are to stay at least 900 meters, 900 and something meters away from the Ark of God. They are to purify themselves, to make themselves holy, but, but they are still sinners and God is God and, and they don't want to come too close because, because God is perfect and they are not. Joshua is God's voice and God is going to do great things. He reminds them in verse 9 that Israel going into this land is not something that they are doing in their own might, but it's something that they are doing because God was with them. Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. And he will surely drive out the people from the land in front of you. This is God's mission, says Joshua. This is not the mission of Israel so much as it is God's mission and they are following him. He is their general. He is their champion. God has chosen to to put himself there among these people. Uh, The ark is not a magic box. Israel... If you read in the stories of, uh, of Samuel, you'll see the times when Israel thought that the ark was a magic box, that wherever it went, there was powerful things happening. This is not the case. The ark was the symbol of God's presence. Between the two angels, wings stretched out over this box, was the place where symbolically God had his throne. This was, this was the sign and symbol of God's presence. This was... This was like the burning bush kind of thing, but on a, on a nationwide scale. He is the Lord of all the earth, says Joshua. Something that he's going to prove, not only to them, but to all people forever. He is going to do amazing things. And yet they find themselves here camped next to a river in flood, much as they had found themselves those 40 odd years ago, camped against the Red Sea with the might of the Egyptians coming against them, stuck. Joshua says to them, I think by by leading them to this spot, he says, expect great things from God. He could have easily taken them to an easier crossing. There were places you could cross the river. We know this because there were two spies that went in and crossed the river. There were places where they could cross easily and God and Joshua take them to a difficult spot to make a point. To make a point that this is all about God. Joshua says to them, guys, you're going to cross over on dry ground. I don't know what you would have thought if Joshua had said to you, this raging flooded river, how you would have thought. You might have thought, oh yeah, yeah, I'll see it. I'll see it when I believe it. You know the people who I have a bit of respect for, I wonder how they felt, the priests who are carrying that ark. They're like, you want us? You want us to just step into the flood? I mean, that's, that's trust, isn't it? That's trust. The river was in flood. Uh, there's snow melt at that time of year, plus it's the rainy season. 
The people couldn't just rush ahead. They didn't know the way to go even when they got to the other side. Remember, the the spies that Joshua had sent out to look out the land spent their three days stuck in a cave. God says, I'm going to go ahead of you. The ark of the Lord of his presence moves ahead into the obstacle. And on the other side, it moves ahead, guiding them on the way to where they are going. Joshua leads the people because God leads the people. And the crossing happens exactly as God said it would. The the priests put their feet in the water and at the exact moment, well actually not at the exact moment, but a little bit before that time, something happens at a place called Adam near Zarephath. Now isn't this, we were talking about this at Music Group, this is incredible, incredible coincidence. Uh, The Jordan River is is in a rift valley, this is an earthquake prone zone, so it's quite probable that what happened, uh, because it does happen, that earthquakes can block the flow of the river. So at exactly the right time, before the priest started walking towards the river. Wait, actually, before I do that, let me just check, because I think I might be talking absolute rubbish for you. I am talking absolute rubbish. Because it's not a little while before, it's exactly the right time. As the priests put their feet down... <clears throat> something happens. Was it an earthquake? Was it a mudslide? I don't know. But as their feet touch the, the water, it's like the water's turbulence starts diminishing. And it, you know when you turn a tap off? It, it, it was like that. It, yes, there was still this rush of water traveling eight miles down from, from Adam. I think it's about eight miles, what, 10, 15 kilometers away. But, but the water blocks up there and, and it starts feeding away into the Dead Sea. As they put their feet in, the water just, it's like it's being tamed and controlled. And, and as they keep walking forwards, the water just runs out. And eventually they cross over on dry ground. Now this river, just to let you know, I found some facts on it. It's, it's um, <clears throat> sorry, during the flood season, clearing my throat, it's about 27 to 30 meters wide. And between one and three meters deep. This is not a little river. And yet, it's like God turns off the tap for the Israelites to cross over. Drains away to the Dead Sea. And they cross over. And as the priests stand in the very middle of the river, remember the Israelites are probably crossing a kilometer downstream from them or upstream from them because they're They're staying away from this incredible presence of God, the symbol of God's presence. And the priests stand in the middle of the river there, and as the people have all crossed over, Joshua says, right, now you guys come out, and they walk out, and as they step out, the water's like, okay. Wonderful coincidence, isn't it, that that the water just happens to be stopped at the exact time that they step into the river, and it just happens to start again the exact moment they step out. That's no coincidence. That's no coincidence. There could be no doubt in anyone's mind that this was something supernatural. Israel has had to face the stark reality that God isn't just some God, He is the Lord of all. I bet they felt very similar to the way that Jesus' disciples felt 
that day when they were on the boat with Jesus and he was asleep and there was a storm and they thought they were going to die and they woke him up and Jesus looked at them and said, oh, shush, quiet. And it just, the storm quieted and the waves went flat and the disciples were like, what? The disciples were terrified. Even the wind and the waves listened to him. Surely Israel must have felt the same as this. What God is this who just, as soon as, as his ark of his presence moves into the water, it just stops. Who is this God? Before uh, the ark moved from the middle of the river, of course, the, the story sort of jumps back on itself a bit in chapter 4. Uh, Joshua has chosen way back these 12 men. In fact, he chose them before they started crossing. And he said to them, I've got a job for you, I'm not telling you what it is. And they cross over, and then he calls them back and says, right, you 12 men, one from each of the tribes, so representing the whole nation, I want you guys to go in and grab 12 stones from, from the riverbed, from there where the ark of the Lord is standing. And they grab one and they, they take it and they're going to take it to Gilgal where they're going to camp and they're going to make a monument there. And Joshua, which is strange, Joshua takes uh, another 12 stones and he sets up a monument in the middle of the river. That's quite a feat to, to set up a monument in a flooded river. And yet Joshua does it because the river is not flooded. This is, this is an impossible thing. These two reminders, these two memorials are are things to remind the people of Israel that the impossible was done on this day. That the Lord is all-powerful. And there is, there is no plaque, there's no sort of brass thing describing what happened put on one of the stones at each memorial. This is, this is, these are to be living memorials. They were there so that those who would come in the future could be transported back into that experience. When future generations would ask about this strange memorial, they'd hear the story. They'd be told what God had done. How, how the people of Israel were only in the land because God had done this incredible thing that was impossible. And, and, and how awesome God is and how powerful God is. Parents wouldn't just be telling the story. They'd be, they'd be teaching their kids uh, about God and who He is and how strong He is and how mighty He is. This is that key moment in the lives of the Israelites. This is the day when they become a nation, not just a people. We don't really pick up on it in our English translations, but this is the first time in Joshua that the people of Israel are no longer called the people of Israel, but the nation of Israel. Because God has brought them into their land. Joshua wanted this nation to always be looking back and remembering what God had done. And from that living in the future. To pass on the experience. To, to share the experience with those who would come. So that it wouldn't just be something long forgotten that happened to my grandparents, grandparents. But, but that it would be something that is real to me as well. That, that I too could look back and go, the only reason I'm here is because God has done that. God did all this for two reasons. We find in verse 24 and 25. Of chapter 4. What does it say? Uh, sorry, just verse 24. He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. And so that you might fear the Lord, your God, forever. He did this so that everyone would know that nobody is as powerful as God. 
And he did this so that his special people might fear him throughout the generations. That, that they wouldn't come to think of him as some God who can be tamed. We like taming God, don't we? The Israelites were meant to look at this and go, there's no way I'm controlling that God. He can control nature. He can do the impossible. He deserves the honor and respect and loyalty and yes, a little bit of fear because he's God. Look at how powerful he is. But also looking back and knowing that he is the one who is for them, who has led them into this place, who has done this out of his love for them. Now Israel was faced with a a, a task. They were told to take the land and they were faced with a roadblock or a river block. We also have a task of sharing the good news with the world. Um, it's not something we often want to do sometimes. We, we think that it's going to be too difficult to engage others. That we're going to risk friendships, that we're going to risk relationships. The people of Israel were to be a nation under God. We are also like them to be a people set apart and holy and different. I wonder whether we, like them, don't find ourselves sometimes knowing where God wants us to go, but thinking, I, I just can't go there. There's a river in the way. I'm on the wrong side of the Jordan. I can't cross over. If, if I attempt it, I'll be swept away. I'll be swept away. And I don't know what's on the other side. If I step out in trust, maybe, maybe God won't come through. Maybe we'll cross over and there'll be people armed and ready to fight us and there'll be trouble. Maybe there'll be issues with relationships and temptations. Maybe there'll be issues with uh, just... We can come up with so many reasons why we can't do what we think God wants us to do. And and we even look at it and we go, God, you want us to do that, but then why don't you make it easy? Why do you bring us to this place where you say, do this, and you go, okay, but it's impossible just by the way. Yeah, I think God does this on purpose to make us realize how much we need Him. He says, I mean, look at He says to us, uh, be perfect as I am perfect. Well, thanks, thanks, God. That's that's really nice. I, I can't do that. God says to the Israelites, right here we are at the flooded Jordan River, going and take the land, and the people are like, yeah, thanks, God. That's that's nice. There's a river there, and God says, I know, I know. You can't do this. You're going to trust me. You're going to follow me. Are you going to put your feet in the water and and see the amazing things that I'm going to do? God goes ahead. He knows the path. See, the ark of God, the symbol of his presence, plays a huge role in this story. I mean, Israel back then, they had to stay 900 odd meters away from this ark. Isn't it incredible that today God doesn't 
live, well, God didn't live in the ark back then, but God's presence isn't there in, a, in an object. God's presence is here. God doesn't guide us in the same way as then he guides us by being present among us and in us. The ark was the symbol of where God was. Where is God today? Well, he's in his temple. Where is the temple? Well, Paul says, you, as individuals and as the church together, are being formed into the temple of God, and God is guiding you. Where is God? God is in the church. Where, 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 how are we going to cross over? Well, together we are going to trust God, and he's going to lead us, and he's going to speak to us, and he's going to show us, he's going to whisper to us. We saw that a little while back where we spoke about living in freedom. How God whispers to us and speaks to us and says, trust me, I've, I've got this in hand. Cross the river. That's impossible to cross. God knows the path ahead even if we don't. God knows what it's like even to stand on the wrong side of the Jordan River going, I don't know what's there. I don't know if I can. I don't know. I love how Hebrews says that Jesus was a man just like us. He knew all of those feelings and experiences. But God knows his plans for us. The question is whether we will trust him. You know, one of the reasons we can trust God is because of what he has done. You know, if we lose sight of what God has done, it's a lot harder to trust him. It's a lot easier to, to be so focused on our problems and our issues and the Jordan River that we forget who it is that is amongst us. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why God has Joshua and the people of Israel set up memorials. Lest they forget. Lest they forget what God has done. And, and, and this story is a memorial for us as well shows us that God is powerful. We, we do have greater memorials. I mean, Jesus took, went to great efforts to make sure that we remembered his death, which is the crossing from alienation from God to life with God, friendship with God. Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he gathered them together, they shared a meal. He, he drank the cup, he said, look, this is my blood that I pour out for you. And they ate the bread and he said, this is my body that I... That I, that I break for you. Do it in remembrance of me. We, we share communion because we remember Jesus. Baptism we do because, because we remember that when we, when we become followers of Christ, we die with Him and we are raised to life with Him. This is a memorial. We should really wash each other's feet as well to remember that Jesus is a servant. Mine are really stinky if anyone wants to have a go. But that's the point. Peter's feet stank, I'm sure. Jesus washed them. And things like the Lord's Supper are not just a, a sermon, but they're about a, a going back and living that experience. You know, we don't just get together when we do communion and go, right, let's remember it. We, we actually do it. We put ourselves back there. It's meant to engage not just our head, but our hearts and our emotions and, our, and our, all of us. 
I mean, these are the big memorials of Christianity, aren't they? But there are, there are personal memorials in our lives. How we came to faith. Maybe how God healed us at a, at a time when we didn't expect to be healed. Maybe a time when we were going through a really difficult decision and God encouraged us. Maybe when God shielded us from harm or danger. Maybe when life just felt dark and we just had an experience of God being present with us. I hope you guys have some memorials. I can share with you that I have a few memorials. One of my... Which one should I share with you? That's the question. I remember about two years back, I was sitting in bed and I had this incredible feeling of darkness. Everything seemed dark. And I just said, Jesus. It just felt horrible. And there was this whiteness and the darkness disappeared. I don't know what I was, I don't know what was happening, but that for me is a memorial. That God is with us. Has anyone got a memorial? Anything important that has happened in your life? That's Jesus dying for us. When I was only young, about eight years old, I was sitting in a Sunday school class and I had got given a little gold Gideon Bible that's still at home somewhere and I was bored because it was in Afrikaans and I was English and so I read the Gideon's Bible and I wrote in the back, I, th- I wrote my name in there and says, I trust Jesus. Isn't that precious? I've still got that Bible. It's my stone at home. Does anyone have one? Mark? Come grab a stone. Because we're going to do this. I shall be the child from Joshua. What does this stone mean, Mark? Uh, what I meant the day. She threw a stone. <laughs> <laughs> Many probably would, but uh, no, she, she was there. Made a big difference. Mm. Has anyone else got a stone? What does this stone mean to you? I'm lots of memorials, but when, uh, when I was at finished uni, I said to God, if you're real, send someone who knows you across my path. I was given a teaching job in a country town. I was given a house from the, the government. You have to share with another teacher. She was a Christian. Thanks, Andrew. I washed them so that they've got that just wet feel as well. <laughs> Anyone else? John? Yeah, my, my whole life, from the day I was born, because I was lucky to be born a Christian family there, uh, the Lord has, I have also, uh, from the time I was 16, there's something I read that uh, one psalm said he's a lamp on my feet, and he's proved that every Put it on the 
the monument. That's the Wonderful. Anyone else? In Oro, and then we'll do the South African ladies next. What does this rock mean to you, Nina? What does this rock mean to you?
Um, today, I was in, you know, I was in, in hospital for, for three weeks in ICU because I was not myself. But I got such experience, and the Lord just said to me, uh, "Can I talk now? Because I don't know what you answered." And you can. He said, "You mustn't be alone. I don't like you being alone. You can be cold, and I can spit you out. But I can't do anything for you now. You have to be all cold, all hot." No means no. Yeah. So up to this day, I am. Hot. And it's really hot. And this Bless is my stone. Thank you, Lord. I, I think we need no stone for that story. for so many people. You're exactly right. The church that comes around and helps people and encourages people. When I was studying the church that I was at, came to me and said, we've got a fund and we're going to fund you for one of your units. Didn't have to do that. They just decided to. Last stone. Last stone. decided to come to Australia, we felt that we were led by the Lord to come to Australia. And uh, being very, very English, somewhat fearful of all the peasants on the other side of the world that didn't know what we were And so we were quite fearful. And uh, so we prayed much about this decision. Knowing that it was right to the Lord, but yet fearing it. You know, you know how it goes. And the Lord gave us a scripture in Exodus 33. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And I'll tell you what we've done after that. But it's been true. It's the best decision we ever made, and the Lord has handled us. Has given us rest in this Thank you, Pam. Now, these are just stones from my garden. Uh, the ones that the Israelites put up were probably a bit bigger and a little bit more impressive, but you know what? What we heard today is, is good. Isn't it encouraging to hear these stories? Doesn't it make it so much easier the next time you need to cross a river to look back and go, yes, but God has. You know, what I, what I love is, is how Israel needed these memorials to keep the reality of who God is fresh in their consciousness. They needed to have a healthy fear of God kept alive. We still need that today. Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 2. Joshua had them set up these memorials so that they would continue to believe in God. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel, he says, I've written about the signs and the wonders and the story of what Jesus did so that you would know and believe. The gospels are a memorial. These are a memorial. The stories that we've heard and the stories that we haven't heard are a memorial for us every time we stand across from the Jordan, across from where God wants us to be, and we look and we say, this cannot be. Let's look 
Let's not face backwards. Let's face ahead, but let's glance back at the memorials and the evidences of what God has done. And knowing that, let's step forward. I think maybe the priests were able to take that trust step because they knew what God had done at the Red Sea. They knew that God had provided for them those 40 years in the wilderness. Water, food, rescue from snakes. They knew what God had done. And so they said, I'm not sure what he's going to do now. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to trust him. Trust him.